Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, welcome to the Writer's Routine Podcast. This is the show that does exactly what it says on the tin. Every week, we chat to a top author all about their working day in the hope that some of their tricks and the intricacies of their daily ritual uh, inspires us to kind of sort out our own. Now this week, our guest is Helen Fields. She's just published the third book in her D.I. Kalanak series. It's called Perfect Death, and it's all about a murder with a little bit of a difference. Now you can hear what she thinks about plotting, and also she's got a really interesting clinical view of the editorial process of book writing, and she kind of spells out how one of the most important things about telling a story is actually getting it sold, getting people to read it in the first place. Also, Helen talks about how she thinks some writers need to take their working day a little more seriously. It's a job. It's a job like any other job, and nobody else goes to work thinking, oh, I'll see if I'm in the mood for it, I'll see how it feels when I I get there, you know, and actually, um, uh, too many people think writing is kind of this lovely thing where you can drift in and drift out of it, and are you in the right mood? And that's just rubbish. So the need for self-discipline is much greater than in any other job, really. And how picking the wrong name for your character can sometimes make an author's job just way harder than it needs to be. If you give somebody an incredibly complicated um, double-barreled surname, you've got to think as a writer, I've got to write that for the next six books. So stay right there. It's all on the way on this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello, welcome along. This is Writer's Routine. My name is Dan Simpson. Hello. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Also, I want to just grab a quick second to say a massive thank you to That Content Shed, also Cass Green, and a few other people who are giving the show a load of love on Twitter. It just really helps. I appreciate your promoting of the show to people that you know, that your followers on there. I find it kind of really gobsmacking that you're taking the time to do that. I appreciate it so much. Because getting the word out there amongst like-minded people who you know, who you think would find the show helpful, maybe you reckon they could do with a little bit of inspiration and motivation. Well, it's the biggest thing that you can do right now to help out what we're doing here. Don't get me wrong, I do love having a nice, small, sweet community of listeners, uh, quality ones as well, that 
are really using the tips and advice that we're getting on the show. But come on, who am I kidding? It would also be amazing to have a huge, massive community of listeners. That way there's something in this show for everybody. Now you can help out with that. Just tell someone that you don't know about the show. To do that, leave us a review on the iTunes podcast store. Please write some nice, lovely words on there. And actually... You know, I will be checking uh, the quality of the paragraph that you write on the iTunes podcast store. You know, what with all the author tips and tricks that we're getting and the advice, they really should be nice, floral, prosaic, and I mean, as gripping as a podcast review can ever be. And dropping us five stars really helps with the chart on there as well. So if you're enjoying writer's routine at all, and if you want to help out the pod, please just go online, leave us a review on the iTunes podcast store. Right then, that's all the admin done. Let's get on with the show. Today's guest is the crime and thriller writer, Helen Fields. Now, she's the author of the D.I. Kalanak series. It's all about murders with a little bit of a, a gruesome twist in there, but they're also really smart. They're clever. They'll make you think and try and work out along the way. Now, there's been Perfect Remains, Perfect Prey, and now Perfect Death. You see, from a show called Writer's Routine, it's exactly the type of name that we like. You know, it says exactly what's going on in the story. She's been busy as well through her life. Uh, She's been a lawyer for 13 years, working across the legal system with social services, with the police too. So she knows the stuff that she's writing about incredibly well. She's also worked as a scriptwriter and a film producer. She's told stories across really any method and mean available to her. She self-published two fantasy books as well. And she's just published the third D.I. Kalanak book, Perfect Death, uh, with a proper publishing house. Now, in the chat, we talk about the mechanics of making sure the story that you love, that you've cherished, that you've poured your soul into and taken the best part of a couple of years to craft, how to make sure it's in a fit enough state to be published and sold. Also, we learn how she's managed to move from self-publishing into the official, revered, suited offices in the shard world of publishing houses. And you can hear why libraries in America are like way more loved than they are over in the UK. Remember, we'll get a tip from an author that can change the way you write forever. You know, we started this last week. Well, this time round, it's from the creator of one of the most hotly anticipated thrillers of the year. So stay there. That's in a sec. First, let's get into our chat with Helen Fields and have a look where she sits down to write. These days, I see lots of other people drinking coffee and um, having conversations and on their way to the gym because since I've moved to California I have taken to writing either in uh, my local Starbucks because I can sit and write outside or um, occasionally I go and write in uh, the library. The libraries in California are absolutely amazing so my local library has a big terrace on it uh, which looks down over the town to the sea and you get wi-fi and you can take coffee and you can be there for hours and hours and hours. It's a great place to work, it's a great place to kind of meet other people, meeting lots of other writers um, and um, it it makes for a very nice atmosphere really So the show is called Writer's Routine Talk to me about yours then The moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day that you are writing, how does yeah. it look? Um, it looks uh, like a family day in the morning because um, one of the reasons that I like writing is because it gives me time with the children so I have the whole child chaos thing to start with, so my head is kind of a bit of a jumble um, and quite often these days I'll go for a walk so I'll drop the children to school, go for a walk clear my head, calm down, get the kind of minutiae of family life out of my brain um, during which time I'm also thinking about what I'm going to do that day, what I'm going to be achieving 
Um, and I'm quite an organized writer these days. So usually on any given day, I'll have a plan that's been drawn up a couple of weeks earlier. So I know what I've got to do on any given day. Um, and I have a very, very detailed schedule of, of words. So nothing is really left to chance. Um, so on a weekly basis, I'll write five days a week and I will have to produce usually two and a half thousand words in my writing day. So I know when I sit down um, in the morning that I need to produce two and a half thousand words. I can't give up writing until I've done that. Um, and if I haven't done it by the time I have to pick the children up from school, I have to come back to it afterwards and carry on. Um, I drink a lot of tea. I eat too many biscuits um, and I spend too much time on Twitter. So it's really a question of self-discipline, and I am disciplined about making sure that I achieve what I need to achieve, because at the end of the day, um, it's a job. It's a job like any other job, and nobody else goes to work thinking, oh, I'll see if I'm in the mood for it. I'll see how it feels when I get there, you know? And actually, um, uh, too many people think writing is kind of this lovely thing where you can drift in and drift out of it, and are you in the right mood? And that's just rubbish, because we have deadlines. We're trying to earn money. We have other things that we need to do. Um, and so the, the discipline is incredibly important because, of course, you know, from when you get the idea for a book approved to when you stop, um, usually your editor isn't kind of on top of you or checking what you're doing. So the need for self-discipline is much greater than in any other job, really. Um, and, and my day is very much about I do I have a six hour day um, to achieve what I need to achieve. And some days are easier than others. And some days I can write more and some days I'm kind of struggling, but I always get my work out done. If you're slightly fuzzy about what you're going to write that day, if you don't quite know how a chapter is going to work out, um, it's much easier to kind of get lost in it and get distracted and you write it. And that's those are the times when you write things that you end up having to go back and you really do pretty much rip it up and start again. It's more about clarity with writing <clears throat> and it's more about thinking clearly in advance what you're going to do and I know that some writers are very very specific planners and other people kind of go with the flow um, and I've done both between books it is easier if you've got a good clear plan so quite often I'll have a chapter plan when I start the book and I'll say right it's going to be roughly 40 chapters within each chapter I need to achieve a certain amount and um, this is this is where it's going to go and the easy thing with that is, even when that doesn't work out, I can see the chapter ahead and I can see where it's not going to work out. So I'll get to the next point on my document and go, actually, this chapter was supposed to be X, but I can see now that that's not going to work because I know what's coming afterwards, and so I need to replace it with Y. Um, and it, it does work like that because it allows you um, a lot greater control and full planning over the book. Um, uh, that said, the nice thing about writing, certainly with writing a series, which is what I'm doing, is that things will crop up that I put into book one and I'll suddenly think, oh, do you know what? I can suddenly use the idea from book one. I didn't really kind of, you know, close that down properly and I can pull that out. So I think that's where that kind of being able to be flexible and pick ideas up and pull things in really comes into its own. I want to follow up on a few things from that. Um, you, you, you've got this 40 chapter rough structure. Yeah. How has that grown to become what it is? You're on book three, publishing day to day now. Yes. How have you developed this system since book one? How has it changed? Um, I think that um, when I look at the way that I was writing, I, I write quite short chapters. Sometimes um, I found that that doesn't allow enough flow in the book. So I was looking at just doing the maths. I was looking at roughly how many words I was putting in per chapter, thinking that it was actually better if I extended that. Looking at the overall length, my books tend to be about 120,000 words, which is quite long for a crime book 
book. That's that's bigger than the genre will normally tolerate. Um, so the, you need to be very, very careful to make sure that um, every chapter does something, that there's always pace. And actually, it's maintaining tension and pace within a book. That's the big issue. Um, and that's why I do the chapter plan now, because actually you can see when you're writing your chapter plan, if you're writing a chapter that doesn't really have enough hard content, so it doesn't shift the plot on sufficiently quickly. Um, but what I have found is that if I'm working around a structure which is that a chapter should be between 2,000 and 2,500 words, um, I know automatically when I'm writing it if I need to extend that. It just works out. The dialogue's going on, the pace of it's good, um, and a really, really good way to gauge whether or not a chapter is working is how quickly you write it. So if you have an idea and the chapter needs to cover, you know, you know, it, it, it's a fight scene or something like that, if you're writing it really quickly and if you're not having to pause and if it doesn't feel long and if you've got a lot more to say, then that chapter's going to work. You know, you're not going to be coming back to it in a structural edit and kind of starting again because if you're writing quickly and you're writing fluently and fluidly, it means the chapter is working. It's the chapters where you stutter and you kind of go, oh, God, I really should get another kind of you know, 500 words in. I really must push them. Then you know you're making up your writing filler. Um, and as soon as you start doing that, actually, you should feel it. And those are the chapters that you will always end up revisiting and changing and you'll need to put additional plot points in. Talking about filler there, how good would you say your two your two and a half thousand words are each time you write on the first draft? I think one of the most common phrases that we've used on the show is the vomit draft. So many authors are just keen to get it out there. You can always amend later. Yeah. What are your two and a half thousand words a day like? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and there's no really easy answer I know when I've written really good stuff and I know when I've written stuff that isn't good enough I know that straight away I know while I'm writing it sometimes while I'm writing it even if I know it's not that great I will carry on just because I need to get myself to a point where I can get to the next plot point so that it enables me to go back easily and rewrite it um, I know when I've written stuff actually as I'm writing it that I'm probably not going to touch again because you feel it when you're writing you kind of know when you've written that that great bit of description that great bit of dialogue you know when something has fallen into place and you have those you know this is why I do this job moments and um, so actually my first drafts are okay um, I will give it four passes probably before I ever send it to an editor anyway so um, I'm quite detailed about going back I very rarely rehash sentences if I don't like them they just come out you know they just come out in total and um, I write a better sentence so I don't play around too much with little words um, and I do think that the more you write um, the easier it is to get your first draft better as you go I know that there are characters that I've built who I'm going to leave out maybe for a couple of books and that I will come back to because they've got more to do and more to say. Um, and it's quite nice to have those, that bigger cast because it gives you some flexibility. So there's a real payoff for readers who've read the series because they, uh, and you get this feedback, they like seeing those characters pop up again. And people will contact me and say, but what's going to happen to this person because they're not in this book? And they will come back. Uh, I'm about to start writing book five and there was one key moment in book one that 
that seemed like a tiny little side issue um, that is going to pop back up in book five and it's going to uh, signal a really big shift in book five. I didn't plan it. Um, I didn't know it was going to happen, but it was just something that came back up. I guess it's a question of whether or not this is conscious or subconscious, whether or not you're kind of, you leave yourself that trail of breadcrumbs as you go. So you've got somewhere to find your way back. Um, and, and it helps you with the rest of the series. I think a lot of writers do that. You put in all the, some, some extra bits um, and it always gives you some, some kind of, you know, future subject matter. So it's publication day when we're recording this. Uh, there's another Helen Fields book out. Tell us about the very first moment that this story cropped into your mind um, I was looking at it and I wanted to move away from the sort of serial killer who um, rejoices in the act of killing um, and I was looking for another real another reason for uh, a killer to kill um, and so that was really where this all started and what I got very clearly in my mind um, is uh, that some people love the whole concept of grief um, and that's really where this came from. Um, they kind of, you know, revel in n- not their own genuine grief, but the kind of concept of, you know, loss and the big trauma, the big drama of it. Um, so that's where my um, antagonist came from in this book. I think the book that comes out today is, is, was the hardest I've written, the hardest I plotted, um, because it's not a kind of normal serial killer kind of, you know, grabs the girl, strangles her. It's, it's, it's a long way from that. So it was a more complex book for me to write, and also because the emotional and psychological issues in there um, are very different. And it came together much more slowly. Normally when I have an idea for a book... Um, it's a kind of it's that light bulb moment. Um, uh, this certainly wasn't that, but actually, because it was a slower build, and I had to think more carefully about the psychology behind the storyline, um, it's probably a more fulfilling payback at the end of the book. We'll get more with today's guest, Helen Fields, in just a sec. And you know that top writing tip that I promised will change the way you work forever? Well, it's on the way next. Now, very quickly, before we hear from the author of the most hotly anticipated book of the year, uh, let me remind you that there are so many ways you can keep across what we're doing up at Writer's Routine. You can give us a follow on Twitter. It's Writer's Pod on there, which is probably the best way to get in touch if you want a nice, quick response and a speedy retweet if you've sent me gushing praise as well. I'm always very quick with my retweeting thumb. Also, we're on Instagram. It's Writer's Routine on there for some nice photos with jazzy filters. You'll get video teasers of the show as well. And some behind-the-scenes stories of our author interviews. And you can get every single way to listen to the show on our website. It is writersroutine.com for that. We've also got all the episodes so far. Nice, handily uh, listenable online for you. There's also an easy way that you can get in touch with the show online there as well. In fact, head over right now. Do it this second. I'm extremely excited to hear from you, you know. It's online, writersroutine.com. So if you were here last week, uh, you would have heard something brand new that we started on the podcast. And I think it's going to be really helpful. You just so much so, in fact, that that's the name I've even quite arrogantly given the feature. It's called One Tip That Will Change The Way You Write Forever. Uh, We'll have authors and friends of the show on every single week just to break up the main bulk of the chat with a short, sweet snippet of advice that can completely, I reckon, uh, reinvigorate the way that you work. And please, if you're listening to this and you've got an idea maybe and you've got a way of working, a little idiosyncrasy that really helps you out and you think it may be somehow you're the only one that does it, 
but perhaps it might be useful for everyone else listening to the show, by all means, record it on your phone, send it over to me. We've got all the details for that over at writersroutine.com. Now, today's top tip that can change the way you write forever, it's from the author of one of the most hotly anticipated books of the year. If you've been anywhere near London recently, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure they're plastered across bus stops all over the country, um, but you won't have missed the posters for the book on the tube. He sold the film rights already, it's one of the most successful debuts ever, and now he's got a tip that could change the way you write forever. Hi, I'm AJ Finn, author of The Woman in the Window, and I wanted to share with you one tip that I hope will change the way you work. This tip is very obvious, you've probably heard it before, but I cannot emphasize it enough. It's that you simply must read. By reading other people's work, you are exposing yourself to their ideas, their perspectives, new voices, new techniques. You can also appreciate what doesn't work so well in their writing. I find that I will read a passage, and that passage will contain a word. I remember recently reading the word jink, and I thought, I hadn't even heard that word before. Now I want to build an entire sentence around it, perhaps even a passage, maybe an entire subplot. If you can draw inspiration from words, and if you're a reader, I bet you can, then you absolutely must follow through and read as widely as possible. So it's quite an obvious one, that one, isn't it? And please, I mean, I'm not a complete idiot. I'm sure that many writers who listen to this show already do that. They read with a critical eye to pick up exactly what other people are doing, where they're going wrong, what they're doing right, maybe to help their own work. But if you're not doing that already, still read for pleasure, please, by all means. But also start to cast your gaze over the words written on the page and think, hang on, what are they doing there? How can this help me? And how can I do it better? Now, AJ Finn was on the show last week. If you missed that interview, I promise every single word in the chat is as direct, intense and just brilliantly helpful as that. So if you missed it, make sure you catch up with episode 21 of Writer's Routine with AJ Finn. Right, let's get back to part two of our chat with Helen Fields then, the author of the D.I. Kalanak series, where we'll find out the secret to getting your book published and sold. Also, why character names are so important to get right. And really, we start with how to make sure they're three-dimensional in the first place. It's really important that your characters are flawed and human and funny um, and broken and all the things that that we all are. Um, And um, one of the things that I like doing is shifting the dynamics between the characters so their relationships have to change. Um, And I think you fall into that two-dimensional trap whereby we end up creating stereotypes, which crime is particularly susceptible to. And you have to be incredibly careful about it, I think. Um, You have those police officer stereotypes particularly, and you have the bad guy stereotypes. Uh, one of the things with me with the police, one of the reasons I set it in Scotland was because of the humour, the natural humour that the Scots have. Um, it's a wonderful thing. And the reason that my main character, Luke Kalanak, is French is because it introduces a new dimension. Um, I hate the term backstory. It shouldn't be backstory. None of us really just has backstories. It, they affect us every single day of our lives. Um, the backstory isn't something we look back at and they say, this is where we came from. Um, when we think of our pasts as individuals, we only ever really think of it when it's relevant to what is happening to us right now. And that's the way that um, characters become three-dimensional. It's by making sure that anything you produce as backstory um, is absolutely key in their interactions with other people and how they have 
handle situations and the choices they make. Um, so if you have somebody with a difficult or traumatized backstory, you can't leave it there in their past um, and you can't treat it all as one big um, you know, dropped load of exposition. It has to be subtle brushstroke and it has to um, kind of play through all of their dialogue and, and um, you know, the whole of the decision-making process. And you have to be, people have to be able to pull out the strands of the backstory and see how it is helping the character develop as you go along. Mentioning stereotypes there, the stereotype of the cop, of the policeman. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of crime thriller books yeah. on, on the shelves. How are you making sure yours are different, but are different, but also that do stick to the tropes that people love and the reason why readers pick them up? Yeah, well, I think when people read crime, they want to be thrilled, they want to be scared, they want to be a bit shocked. Uh, <clears throat> it has to be a page turner. Um, you know, these books should be pacey. Um, and uh, I hate the turn. I, I hate twists. You know, where's the twist? Do we see it, see it coming? Um, because I think that sets writers up for, to fail, to be honest with you. Um, what I like to do is invest very heavily in the characters and it's what you were talking about about 3d characters um i think that people read series um to stay in touch with characters otherwise you just would be reading standalones um uh, i think as readers we invest in those characters that we come i know when i read series i really invest in the characters um and it's uh, a tricky thing to keep people going and keep them realistic and keep them 3d because actually um, readers are very rarely fooled so if you kind of you know have a bad writing day and you don't think about it and you take your character off and they do something that they really wouldn't ever do your readers kind of immediately say that was ridiculous they wouldn't have you know that person wouldn't have done that and they know straight away um so you have to change the dynamic of the characters and keep them going in different directions but not in a way that's so unpredictable and ridiculous that you lose the credibility with the reader um so writing a series it, it is it's all about those characters and keeping them interesting keeping them fresh um and there's a particular relationship between my two lead characters kalanak and, and ava turner i have to tread a very gentle line here because i don't want to make this any form of romance that's not my genre um but there is kind of this sense of there's something you know more between them um than is is superficial i know a lot of the feedback i get from readers is kind of you know what on earth is going to happen between the two of them um so that to an extent that that sort of you know side story is carrying the um series Kalanak's um, first name change between my first draft and, and the kind of first book that came out. Why is that? Because he's a French character and I used a name that was possibly going to make it more difficult to identify with him because it was a French name. So we changed it to something more identifiable. So these are things we do think about and particularly um, editors probably think about... Um, <laughs> harder than writers think about it. as a writer you just kind of go with whatever you, what feels right to you and what draws that picture um it's a funny thing when you uh name a baby you name a baby and you think is that going to really fit their personality is that going to stick is that going to work in 10 years time is it going to work in 20 years time and it's exactly the same thing when you name a character in a book you're thinking about oh, is that just great for one book or is that you know is that the name that's going to get annoying when i've read it you know 200 times or um you know is it going to resonate with people so we think very hard um about how names sound um and then there are practical things, which is if you give somebody an incredibly complicated um, double-barreled surname, you've got to think as a writer, I've got to write that for the next six books. Um, so there are some practical things about it as well. Um, and then I think we do tend to 
whether it's subconsciously or consciously, you go back to the people you have either really liked or really not liked in your life. <laughs> and it's very hard as a human being to give that your kind of, you know, your protagonist and the name of somebody that you were at school with that you absolutely hated. You can't do it. And you just can't do it emotionally because every time you write that name, you have an image of somebody who, whether they bullied you or, you know, they took the mickey out of you or whatever, you have that name in your head. So what you do find is if you ask writers about... Um, the names of their protagonists they're either names that of people they haven't come across so you've got a real blank page to draw a character from or it's maybe somebody that you've met that you admired or really liked or that was a positive influence so there's a lot of kind of you know psychology that goes into naming characters in books you were talking about having to change the name there because it might not be relatable now this might be quite a hard question for you to answer when we're in a room filled with editors Mm -hmm. but How do you find the difference as an author of writing a story and then you have to hand it over to people who then need to sell the book so things inevitably need to be changed? How do you find that balance? How do you deal with it? Um, I I think you have to be very realistic about what you're doing. Um, And that doesn't make it always an easy process because you kind of fall in love with your characters and you fall in love with your plot and you think you've written something brilliant. But at the same time, you want those books to sell and you want them to work. So the way I deal with this um, is always to think um, editors aren't just editors. They work with the sales team. They work with the designers. They work with, you know, kind of people who are, who also know what other books are coming out and what's going to clash with other books. And so you have to kind of be quite disciplined about this and say, I'm a writer, but that's all I am. That's my only little bit of it. There's a much bigger um, system and supply chain that is kind of, you know, going to work around this book. So my editor knows. They do know what's going to work. They know what the marketplace wants at the moment. They know what the buyers want at the moment. Um, They know which book's better than me. They know which book's flopped last year and kind of they've looked at why. Um, So you have to be quite clinical about that. And there's a a real need to be able to disassociate yourself from the... uh, kind of um, psychology of what you've done and what you've written how you've invested in it and it's your baby and all that sort of stuff and then the fact that actually this is a business publishing's a business and it has to work and it's all lovely to come up with your name on a book but if that book doesn't sell because um, you've gone oh no you can't change any of it you know um, then there was pointless writing it you have to be flexible Um, you have to be a grown-up about it Um, And it's very, very important to pick your battles. So the thing with editing a book is that I think if you feel incredibly passionately and you have a really good reason for wanting to keep something the way it is, you explain that clearly. Most editors will then back down if it's something they can see work or they will say, I hear what you say, but... The problem is that another writer's got the same book coming out next week, you know, and we know the character's got the same name. So just change it. You've self-published two books before yep. the Kalanak uh, stories, haven't you? Yeah. What was the the key then to get into sitting in an office now, then being published by a house, and then they're going to be available in bookshops all over the world? Yep. What changed between the two? Um, the two fantasy books I self-published um, didn't get sent out to agents or publishers. I didn't tr- even try. And at that stage, I was uh, just testing myself to see if I could start writing a book and finish writing a book. Uh, give them to friends and see if I could get feedback and just see if I enjoyed the process because I'd come from very different careers. Uh, and really just see if it was something that I felt I could invest in long term. Um, and just 
counted to see if I was any good at it at all, you know, if I could write a story that hung together. Um, and I'd written those, and in fact, I went off to a writer's conference and somebody saw some of that work and literally said, look, you're ready to go and get an agent, why don't you stop self-publishing? And it was another author who said that. Um, and then um, an agent had, had read some of it and said, look, you know, um, that that's the, the, a lot of fantasy isn't getting published at the moment, but, you know, you can write, you can write books. So um, why don't you have a think about writing in a different genre? Um, but it's time to get an agent. And that was literally it. There was this flipping point where two people said, no, that, you know, you, you've, you know what you can do now, you know what you're capable of go and take it seriously and that was it so that's it for this week thank you so much to Helen Fields for coming on the show the third book in her D.I. Kalanak series it's just been published I had a chat with her on publication day and she was manically busy So I'm eternally grateful for her sparing me uh, half an hour to have a chat for the show. Now, it's called Perfect Death, and we've got links to all of her work right now over on our website. As always, it's writersroutine.com. And while you're there, uh, you can catch up on all the episodes that we've done so far. You can even get in touch with the show. You can do that on Twitter and Instagram too. Just find Writers Routine across all of the socials, really. Uh, And also make sure you tell a mate and an author pal if you've got one all about writer's routine, maybe you think that they could use the motivation and the inspiration from some of the best storytellers around. And you can even tell someone that you don't know about the show. You can recommend it to them by leaving us a review on the iTunes podcast store. That will do the rest, I promise. Just find writer's routine on there. And if you can, if you think it's worthwhile, drop us five stars. Now, I'll be honest, actually, I'm still kind of mulling over who's going to be on our next show and even when it's going to be. You know, I'm waiting for some things, some bits of admin, some emails and room bookings to drop into place uh, before we get you someone seriously inspirational. You know what, though? I think that's a tease enough. So I'll leave it there and I'll see you next time. Make sure you keep across all of our social pipes to find out when we'll be back. I will see you then for another writer's routine. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.